0: They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Today on Daddages, we have breakfast for your brain. A pancake breakfast to be specific. Go grab the butter and the syrup and enjoy this yummy episode of Daddages. Dadages friends and family, that's right. We're having pancakes today. That's because we have a special guest in the Dadages virtual studio, Susan Combs. Susan is the author of Pancakes for Roger, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. This is a really special book that Susan wrote about her father and all of the wisdom she picked up from him during his life. And the book has gone on to inspire an entire movement. That sounds like a totally Dadages story to me. I can't wait for Susan to share it with all of you and the friends and family. And since today's episode is all about dads, it's only fitting that we're continuing our discussion of my dad's favorite dadage: to thine own self be true. This is going to be fun. Susan, thank you for joining us in the Dadages virtual studio.
1: Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here, Chad.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be a great talk. Susan, let's first give the Dadages friends and family a chance to get to know you a little bit better. So like me, the creative aspect of your life being an author is what the kids today might refer to as a side hustle. You have a day job doing something completely different. Tell us about that.
1: So, I own a brokerage firm in New York City. It's called Combs and Company. So, it's a full service insurance brokerage and consulting firm. So, life insurance, health insurance, kidnap and ransom, aviation, you know, whatever you want to insure. We're good at knowing the weird and the unusual stuff. And then I actually work a lot as an expert witness. So, I get paid for people to be mean to me on a pretty much a daily basis. And then, like you said, I have the, you know, I'm an author and I, I do publicly speak as well.
0: Well, good to know you're getting the hazard pay when you're, when you're putting crosshairs <laughs> of, of the attorneys. Absolutely. And Susan, also like me, you started your own company at 26 years old. I was 25 when I became a real estate developer. I know for me, no one told me you can't just become a developer. So I did. Was it similar for you stepping out on your own so early in your career? Did you realize that people don't just do that?
1: I think I realized a little bit later, uh, you know, I mean, I had a mentor and I had a mentor that really pushed me, but I think like you could probably echo this too. You don't know what you don't know, especially at 25 and 26 years old. You're kind of an idiot still and trying to figure things out. But my background was hospitality and I knew I knew how to treat people. And to me, insurance is just an extension of hospitality. It's just doing a little extra handholding, education, explaining things to people. And I worked for a really large firm for a year. I had a mentor that we would meet for coffee and he had me do a pro con list. He was encouraging me to go out on my own. And I, I just, I was unsure, but he said, Susan, you can do this. Like you can start this out of your apartment. You can, you know, print your own business cards. He was just like, what are they doing that that you need help with? And I said, well, they, you know, I get my mail there and he's like, you can get your ass to the post office yourself. So I, And the thing is, um, the company I work for, I own my book of business from day one. So when I walked out the door, all my clients were able to come with me and I was no longer splitting with the house. So that means I was making twice as much money walking out the door than I was, but it was you still had to like get your own insurance, the corporate insurance, like incorporate, do all that stuff that they don't really teach us in school, right? I mean, it's not like when you're going through high school, they're like, hey, you wanna be an entrepreneur? This is how you do it type of thing. You just kind of figure it out along the way and you have to surround yourself by the right people that can kind of mentor you that have been there. Um, And I think a lot of times, even when we're young and start it, we can get those people that are basically our parents' age that see kind of that glimmer of themselves in us. And then they can really kind of guide us along the way too.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting the point you brought up. Uh, One of the things I say when I'm advising people who are entrepreneurs and want to start their own business is if you tell me you want to be a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, I'm assuming that whatever that thing is that you do, you do it really well. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to do that as a career. But it's usually all the other stuff that it takes to be able to do what you want to do that gets in the way. And I imagine that having someone who had been there before, been in the trenches, operated a company, uh, and having that mentor along riding shotgun to help you look around the corners, anticipate the challenges and figure those things out, that must've meant a lot to you in overcoming those challenges.
1: Yeah, it was good. And I'm actually, I'm still in touch with him today. And so that's kind of cool that he's still in my life. I think that for me, and you probably can echo this too, you can't know everything. And so it's just like, if you surround yourself by the right people and bring the right people in and bring people that are smarter than you in certain areas, that's when you can really flourish. You know, one of the things that somebody told me too is, hire your first employee as quick as possible. You know, have somebody that can run your calendar and be kind of your office manager, even if it's on a part-time basis. I mean, in this day and age, there's been a lot more flexibility on working from home. So you can even get somebody to do virtual assistant work for you and they could be in Albuquerque and you're in Michigan, you know, type of thing. So I think that's, that's a good, good way to look at it too.
0: Well, you were definitely preaching to the choir on on all accounts. Daddage number one was actually surround yourself with people who are better than you are at what they do best and then let them do it. I just finished an interview earlier this week in our Entrepreneur's Corner format where I was working with a new entrepreneur and helping her build her business. That was Deba Douglas, who's building a real estate business on her own. And one of the things I advised her is exactly what you just said. Don't be afraid to surround yourself with administrative resources to make yourself more productive as an individual, because you are your most important asset and you need to be as productive as you can be for sure.
1: You know what I, and I've, I've mentored a lot of business owners and people starting out in sales and I'm like, you know, it's important to, to understand things and know what you know, but it's more important for you to know what you don't know. And so once you know what you don't know, then you can bring the people in that do know that. And that can, that can make things a lot smoother. Like, I, for example, I'm a money person. I'm a finance person. But I don't like doing that stuff. So I bring in somebody that's good at that. I mean, seriously. I mean, I've had my company, gosh, it's it's been 18 years now. And, you know, when my CFO came in and started working with us about seven years ago, he said, how many times a, a day do you look at QuickBooks? And I'm like, once a month. <laughs> And he's he's like, oh my god, what are you doing? He was like, I look at him multiple times a day. You need to understand. I'm like, money's in the bank. That's all I care about. But um, but he's really been instrumental in taking our company to the next level, and then being so conservative and socking away money so that when COVID hit and a lot of people were panicking, we knew that the entire staff could get paid for two years without even a single client paying us, and we'd still be okay. So that was just a great relief to be able to say that to the staff and have them be like, oh, I know I'm going to be okay. I have friends that aren't okay right now, but I know I'm going to be okay. And that was huge.
0: Yeah. As you're growing a business, a good seasoned financial professional, a CFO or controller is absolutely essential to maintaining that conservative approach that you're talking about and protecting yourself against the eventualities that that will occur. Uh, so it's it's great wise perspective and advice. And I think that it's also really important what you highlighted, that self-awareness is a superpower and that you really shouldn't look at your limitations as a weakness. You should look at your awareness of your limitations as a strength. And I think so many people aren't looking at it through that lens the way you've learned to. And I think that's a, a really great perspective for people to hear.
1: Well, and even bringing that into the family aspect, I mean, I have two older brothers and the three of us are drastically different, drastically different. The middle one said one time, if we weren't born related, we'd never travel in the same circle. People were like, oh, that's mean. And I'm like, no, that's freeing. That's to understand what that means and understand that I know I'm good at things that the boys aren't good at. And there's things that they're good at that, that I'm not good at, uh, you know, prime example is like, like mental health aspects that's something that I've never really struggled with. So I can't really identify with it. My brothers have both had issues in that area. So they're good at supporting my mother when she's dealt with grief and loss when, since her father's passed. And so I'm, I'm one of those people that like, give me the money, give me the bank account. I'll do all the taxes. I'll do all the finance aspect, but I can't hold your hand um, when you're having a sad day because it's just not who I am. And I know that's not who I am, but the boys are good at that stuff. So that's, that's a good thing.
0: You'll handle the logistics, they'll handle uh, the emotions.
1: Yeah, I'll get it paid for. I'll get the doctor paid for you just <laughs> getting it set up.
0: <laughs> understood, understood completely. <laughs> and, you know, obviously these skills and everything you've put together have really paid off for you in a tangible way. I, you mentioned uh, in your, your background, in your bio, that your drive is to always do more better in a professional setting. And as I said, it's paid off, there, your record shows across the board, you're the youngest national president in, of women in insurance and financial services. And you're the first female broker of the year winner for benefits pro. I mean, those are great distinctions and really uh, stand to as evidence of, of your commitment to that approach and that you're practicing what you preach. And, uh, you know, another aspect of your life that, that I can relate to and that I find interesting and in line with on brand, let's say with your brand, uh, is that you're also a CrossFitter. And while I don't claim that moniker for myself, I've been a fitness addict for nearly 35 years as well. And in fact, this morning, my workout was a training program that's sort of a CrossFit derivative. It's called Alpha at the gym I work out at. But CrossFit is not really just about fitness. It's really an attitude and a lifestyle, right? Can you explain for the friends and family how CrossFit fits into your life and and I get the sense from everything I've learned about you in the book that CrossFit is a pretty consistent and integral part of your identity, because you said in the book that you aspire to be like your father, and I love this, quote, a badass who is a good person and helps other people when they need it.
1: You know, I've I've worked out my entire life, pretty much. I mean, I, I played sports in high school. I played rugby in college, you know, and I came out to New York and my husband and I played in charitable softball, football, and hockey league. So, um, and then I used to do mixed martial arts too. So it just you know, yeah. So it's 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 fun for me, and it's it's a challenge for me. And to be honest, CrossFit wasn't really on the radar. My husband is actually nationally ranked endurance athlete and Spartan racer. Yeah, and he's and he's very humble about it. And then we look it up, and I'm like, "You're 33rd in the world. What are you talking about? <laughs> like you need to brag about this." It was just by chance, and I have a friend, my friend John Vion. He was actually part of the 82nd Airborne. He had always kind of pushed me. He was like, Susan, you'd be really good at powerlifting. You'd really be good at powerlifting. He's like, you're a strong girl. He was just like, he said, I think you should look at powerlifting or CrossFit, you know, something like that. And then my husband and I live in New York City. We live in Queens. Our subway stop was being remodeled. Every single day we had to walk to another subway stop, which isn't a big deal in New York. I mean, it's like a five minute walk. And so every single day we walked, we'd walk by this CrossFit gym. It was called Dutch Kills. And my husband, since he was doing the Spartan racing, he needed to be able to practice rope climbs. Pretty much the only gyms that really still have ropes in in this world are CrossFit gyms. So we actually did the fundamental class. I mean, our gym is hugely big on fundamentals and getting your form correctly so that you don't get injured. And, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, CrossFit's a cult. And yeah, it is a little bit, but it's more, it's a community. And so what CrossFit did for me is... You know, a lot of times I think with girls, I mean, and I, you know, I'm 44 years old, right? So I still get that, oh, you know, you don't want girls to be too bulky, right? It's just like, don't be too strong. And so that was something that we kind of heard growing up. And, but I was always a strong girl. Being able to excel in something, like I have 205 bench press right now. My goal is 215. It's not going to be 215 this year because there's just not many days left. But uh, it's been something that it's been cool to be able to, because I compete with myself. But what it did for me personally was that, you know, my father was diagnosed with Agent Orange-related throat cancer in 2008, and we had 10 relatively good years. And then he relapsed twice the last year of his life. After he relapsed the second time, I basically moved from New York back to Missouri to help care for him. My little town of King City, Missouri, that has 986, actually it has 1,013 now. It had 986 when I left. My little gym is, um, we do have the first wind farm in the state of Missouri, so I don't want to give that a shout out, but, um, but a friend of mine that owns the gym, he did CrossFit. And so he has all the equipment, has the ropes, has you know all the, the plates that look just like ours in the gym. What I would do when I was caring for my dad is every morning I would get up like around five o'clock, I'd check on him and then I would just go to the gym and it gave me that hour of peace to fill my own cup because i mean i'm sure you've had people on this this podcast that have been caregivers and man if you're a caregiver you can just be running on empty and if you don't fill your cup either you know spiritually you know with friends with with working out you're going to have nothing for yourself at the end of the day so that was something that was hugely important to myself is to fill my own cup first start out with a workout because then if i didn't get any time for myself the rest of the day. And I had to give to everybody else. At least I started out on a positive. So that was, that was really what CrossFit did for me. And just, you know, when I lost my dad, I mean, they were just so supportive. I mean, I know we're going to talk about, you know, pancakes for Roger movement and what that means, but all those guys have been supportive. And so that's why, you know, this year we're also going to do some weightlifting competitions too. And one of them is going to be at Dutch kills. So that's pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. It's such a strong community. And before I move on from CrossFitting, I have a, there's a joke that I heard that I've heard applied as often to CrossFitters as to Stanford alumni. And it's the same joke. And the joke goes, how do you know a CrossFitter when you meet them? They'll tell you in the first five minutes. And as I said, same thing for Stanford alumni, we, we can't avoid that. It's just part of the culture, both strong communities.
1: Yeah. So on well, my gym is actually also a strongman gym too. So Dominic Fortino that owns our gym, he was one of the guys that was very instrumental in developing most of the curriculum for uh, strongman certified gyms. So it's kind of cool. So it's just like, we have a lot of the fun stuff, you know, with, with tire flipping and sledgehammers and stones, and it's a good time for sure.
0: Really cool. Really cool. Well, let's get to the book. You know, let's let's first break down the title. So the second part first, a mentorship guide for slaying dragons. Are, are you doing a lot of dragon slaying in your professional life in the world of insurance these days? Or perhaps you slay, save the dragon slaying for outside the office?
1: No, I think, you know, what I look at is dragons, you know, dragon slaying and stuff like that. It's just an obstacle. Every single person every day encounters, you know, a choice they need to make. And I've always felt like, even, you know, I think about it in terms of like the spouse you pick, but also the choices you make every single day, it makes you better or worse every single day. And so I always say that with you know the person that you decide to spend your life with, that person that you decide to spend your life with can make you better or worse every single day. And so there's always these obstacles always. I mean, I, fourth quarter for me, 2023 was rough. I do health insurance and open enrollment was just a, special kind of bitch this year i mean it just really was and i mean it was 80 hour works work weeks and it was just a lot it was a lot and so it just every single day it felt like you were like the dragon was getting bigger and bigger to slay but that's and i'll tell you that second part of the, t- the title. I popped up in bed at two in the morning and it hit me because the the original title of the book was "Pancakes or Roger: A Mentorship Guide for Life." And then I woke up at like two in the morning and I was like, "Mentorship Guide for Slang Dragons." And my production team, I work with Scribe Media on my book and, and Lioncrest for my publisher. They're like, "I don't know, Susan. I don't know." And I'm like, "Wait, wait. I'm like, you don't know me yet. You don't know me yet. As soon as you know me, you know this is the right title." And then I started testing it on some friends. They just, man, that you just see the the transformation of their face. And they were like, oh yeah, that's the title. That's the title. So that's when I knew I had it right.
0: Well, it definitely captures the passion and the intensity and the strength uh, that you convey in your way of being and in your way of writing and communicating. I I think it's very appropriate and very indicative of, of your personality that comes through resoundingly within the book. So I I like it. In the first part of the title, probably far more important and fundamental to a discussion and and to your life and and everything you pursue, Pancakes for Roger. Let the friends and family in on the secret. Tell us the inside story of pancakes and why they're not just flapjacks any longer. They mean a lot more, obviously.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, I moved back to Missouri when my father was was on hospice and we knew that that his time was going to be limited. And like I said, I would always get up in the morning and I'd go work out. So we kind of had a system. So I, and my dad and I always had systems. I mean, it's just like, it's it's a little ridiculous how type A we we both were. And so I would get up, I'd work out. I'd check on him first, of course, before I left the house and I'd go work out. I'd come back, I'd check on him again. If he was good, I would go get showered for the day. And then I'd come down and uh, get him kind of ready for the for the day and then get him set in his chair. And I would literally work with my laptop at my childhood home on the coffee table. And then if he needed anything, I was right there. One morning, my dad, uh, he had a feeding tube. He had had a feeding tube basically for the last year of his life. And he was also on oxygen. So anybody that's listening to this, if they dealt with people on oxygen, if your oxygen level gets low, you can have some confusion. One morning, did the whole cadence, went to the gym, came back, he was good, went to shower, and then I came down. We were fortunate enough that we had hospice at home. And my father was, my father was very big at taking care of his family and taking care of himself. When long-term care insurance started, my dad was one of the first ones to buy a policy because he said, you know what, I, I don't wanna be a burden on my kids. I want things taken care of. I wanna be able to make some decisions. And so we actually were able to have a policy that you know basically paid family members for his care or paid you know outside nursing to come in as well. So I went to his hospital bed that was in what he called his I love me room. And my father was a major general in the Air Force. He started out as a Marine Corps helicopter pilot he was also in the Army National Guard, and then he was in the Air Force ultimately. So he served for over 39 years and four months in the service. One morning when I went to his hospital bed, he wasn't there. And so I went into the living room. He wasn't there, just around at the corner. He wasn't there in another front room. And then I went to the kitchen, and he was there. And he had this placemat and his silverware. And he had set the table. And I looked at him, and I said, Dad, what are you, what are you doing? He said, well, I want pancakes for breakfast. And it oh, it just broke my heart because this is a man that for an entire year with a feeding tube, never once complained about not being able to eat because he just, he knew that's how it was. And I looked at him and I said, oh, dad, I said, there's, there's just nothing more in this world that I want to give you than pancakes for breakfast. But I said, you're on hospice and we have a DNR. I said, if you choke, I said, we're done here. And I just don't think we're quite ready to be done. He looked at me and he said, oh yes, I can. Matt said I could. And Matt is my brother. That's a nurse. And he wasn't there that morning. So I knew we were dealing with some confusion with the oxygen levels. So I looked at him and I said, well, dad, let me see what I can do. So I took his tube feeding formula over to the microwave Cause the general always wanted it heated up for 14 seconds. If you did it 13 or you did it 15, he would know. Uh, So I took it for 14 seconds. I went and I sat it on the table and he said, what's that? And I said, that's your syrup. And so his oxygen levels started kind of rallying around. He looked at me and kind of smiled. Actually, funny enough, um, yesterday, I actually found the first Pancakes for Roger picture on my phone. And it just came up as a memory. And I'm a big believer in signs. So I think my dad was just kind of giving me a nudge on the holidays. But so I came back to New York and I took one day off work after he passed away. Because after that incident with my dad, he passed away about three weeks later. And so I came back to New York and I took one day off of work because I just needed one day. I needed one day to just not check an email, not take a phone call, just shut out all the noise and just be... And my husband said to me, he said, why don't we go to the diner and have some pancakes for your dad? This is actually in, only because I found the picture yesterday. It was on August 22, August 27th, 2018, that we took the first picture. I, My husband has a picture of me about my dad requesting pancakes. And I, I said, you know, I said, at the end of the day, it's a little things in life that make a big impact. And we never know when our lives can change in the blink of an eye. So if you're so inclined, why don't you go out and have some pancakes for Roger and just Think of all the blessings that you have in your life. So that's kind of how it started. And that, like, I mean, seriously, it was just off the cuff. Like, it just like a, hey, here's a sweet, you know, moment. I'm kind of letting you in on, like, you know, a story of my family. And then people started having pancakes. And so people started having pancakes. And then I started getting text messages with pictures and saying, hey, I can't have pancakes and not think about your father. I do some advisory work for the University of Missouri School of Law Veterans Clinic. The Veterans Clinic provides free legal services for veterans and their families navigating the VA claims and appeals process, You know discharge upgrades, and a lot of other things, too. And so then they decided to have a pancake for Roger breakfast on his birthday, um, which was February 22nd. And so then we just started saying, well, what the hell, you know, for every pancake loving picture we get in the month of February, because my father's birthday was in February, uh, my company will make a donation in his honor to the Veterans Clinic when people use the hashtag pancakes for Roger. So that's kind of how it started. It was a movement like it was just like, a, hey, let's let's have some fun with this, see where this goes, raise some money, raise awareness for the Veterans Clinic. And then then a couple of years passed and it started going even bigger and bigger. And then I decided to write a book. So I had people that had been after me to write a book. And I'll tell you, it was not supposed to be about my dad. My dad was supposed to be a chapter. When I decided to do the book, when I publicly speak, I used to end a lot of my talks in what I would call unsolicited advice. So they were kind of cool quotes from people that I had gotten, you know, ever since I was a child throughout my life. And I would give kind of some insight about that person and how you could use the information. So the thought was, okay, use each one of these quotes to be a chapter in the book, give some information about the person's life story and how you can plug and play it. That's what it was supposed to do. Dad was supposed to be a chapter. And then the general took over the whole freaking thing, you know, (laughs) and then...
0: It's as the generals
1: spring, tend to do. As right? the generals do, yes. And then it's mattered with, you know, some other mentors and lessons that I've gotten from other people too. But I'll tell you, it was, writing the book was definitely a, a gift to myself. I mean, those people that have lost somebody that were tremendously close to them, oh, man, it is. I think in families, there's always somebody that steps up, right? So there's always somebody that steps up and does all the work. And I was that for my family. Um, My thought process was very similar to my father's. So I handled things in the way that my dad would. So when he passed, I mean, I went into work mode. I mean, I was dealing with the Department of Defense. I was dealing with Arlington because my father was buried in Arlington. I was dealing, my father was also a civilian judge. So I was dealing with the state of Missouri for that pension. Um, moving things over into the trust ownership. I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work. I mean, I put in my calendar four hours of what I called family work time that first year, which was good because for my mother, she needed that. So it's just like, so she knew Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons from like two to four Eastern time were her time. And so she was going to, I mean, when people pass, they get a tremendous amount of mail. The widows don't know what to do. They're still grieving and they just can't quite figure it out. So my mom and I would do like a zoom call or a FaceTime call and we'd go through her mail. Um, I talked to her, I would tell her anything I needed her to handle. Um, she'd tell me something that she would be concerned about. And then we just kind of go from there. So yeah. I was thrown into work mode so much that I don't think I really got a lot of that healing process when my father passed. So by writing the book, I mean, I freaking ugly cried every single yeah. week because it was just very healing and very cathartic for me. Yeah, um, and then when so. we were done, it was like, the title has to be Pancake Surrager. There was there was no other option for anything else. So it you know, the book's been fun. It's it's been fun to speak on the book and, and meet other people. Part of the proceeds of the book go to the veterans clinic. But the movement with the the pancake pictures has continued and last year, or I guess this year, I keep confusing that. <laughs> like in twenty twenty three, we hit all fifty states, all seven continents, and twenty-four countries. Yeah, it's insane, right? And so it's just like I even have a friend that's like in February. He's like, Susan, I planned my vacation to Antarctica, so you'll get Antarctica again, and so we can get all seven continents. So and things have kind of expanded. I mean, uh, I've incorporated as an official nonprofit in December, so that's going to shift things because though we'll still always you know support the veterans clinic, there's so much more that we can do. And I know yeah. there's so much more that we can do. The mission is going to be to unite veterans with funding opportunities to do good in their backyards and abroad. Um, I think that there'll be a lot of cool projects and we're going to do themes each year. And I'm super excited about what, what's going to be the next.
0: That's great. There's a lot to cover there and that you've given us some really juicy nuggets uh i want to go back and talk about the book i want to go back and talk about the movement the new nonprofit, all of those things before we do though there's a couple of things that you shared in there that i really want to focus on because i think they're so important one is this uh framework that you created i'm an operations guy as well and i'm all about building frameworks to create freedom. When you can provide that sort of framework as you did for your family in carving out that family time to deal with all of the garbage, all of the logistics that you had to deal with, creating those systems and those frameworks help people deal with the mountain of crap that you've got to handle. And that actually then leaves capacity for dealing with the emotional side of things, for dealing with processing the grief and the loss and all of that. And so I think you gave your family such a tremendous gift by inserting that framework for them and helping them through that process. Friends and family, will pause right there and pick up with Susan on our next episode of Datages. There's much more to come, including a deep dive discussion regarding Susan's book, Pancakes for Roger, the movement the book has spawned, and Susan will give me some direct advice that I think you all may find valuable regarding insurance, which is her specialty. Until then... I hope you'll grab a great pancake breakfast, think of Roger, and remember, Dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does.